Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. I'm joined today by Chris Nee, Bob Ferrante, and we have hot takes. Hot takes, hot takes, hot takes. Uh, Florida State is coming off a 77-6 win over Delaware State. Uh, Delaware State fired their coach earlier before we recorded this podcast on Monday. I don't think it was because <laughs> they lost to Florida State. I think it's because the coach won three games in three years. So, uh, we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about Florida State beating Delaware State because that was exactly what they were supposed to do. But real quick, guys, let's do a few quick takeaways from the game and then we'll move on uh, beyond it. I, I thought it was nice to see like Florida State did what it was exactly what it was supposed to do this year or, the, or on Saturday, and that was the first time this season that's, that's actually happened. Yeah, I think some of our keys were put this game away early, execute the game plan, let the backups and the freshmen get some playing time. It was good to see... Again, a guy like Justin Motlow get a touchdown, a really fun moment in what's been a pretty pretty bleary Dreek season. But um, It was cool to see the reaction. Like, I mean, half the sideline went over and yeah. swarmed the guy. Yeah, I mean, you could tell he was a well-loved practice player who's contributed a lot and, and has been a good matchup guy. I think Tavares McFadden, and you, you had talked to him a little bit about mm-hmm. Motlow, and he, you know, you could tell there was respect. He was a guy who had had some good seasons in high school, and they, they knew he wasn't just a – just a guy out there on the practice squad. Well, so Jim, I think Jimbo said he could play in the SEC. Hmm. I don't know about that now. I mean, he said that in the beginning of the year, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. I love walk-ons, though. I mean, they're, they're the most underappreciated human beings on a football team. They get the hell beat out of them every day in practice. Like a dog cuss. They're essentially there to be tackling dummies and to be stand-ins. And, you know, when guys get that opportunity and capitalize on it, it's awesome. And Motlow's a great story. You know, beyond just being a walk-on, obviously the Seminole Tribe connection with him, it's pretty special stuff. So mm-hmm. it was good to see. I, yeah, I like human interest stories. I'm not one of these guys that loves them, and thinks you need one every week, but that's an awesome one. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a great moment for him and for his family. And on Senior Day, yeah, good for them. I enjoyed Saturday. I mean, hell, it was the easiest work day we've had this year. We, we were in, we were out by five o'clock, right? Yeah, FC scored 33 more points than I thought they were capable of. Going into that game, so we all had them scoring in the forties, and yeah. I don't think it was a, a thinking that Delaware State was that great. I was like, I don't know. I mean, if you know, I just thought the offense would stall itself out yeah. some it in didn't. the first half. And JJ Cosentino was dropping freaking dimes. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I mean, let's not say dimes. He, I mean, he yeah, that was a nice throw. He threw he threw Justin Motlow open. You don't have that story without that guy's throw. So I did feel really bad for him, but on that first play. My biggest takeaway was truthfully DJ Matthews. I mean, yeah, that's the the punt returns are fun. I mean, it, yeah. we have brought fun back to punt returns in Tallahassee. It's been long overdue, and Greg Reed says hi. Yeah, but DJ, I mean, that spin move, oh, that spin move. Well, let's let's so that's it for Delaware State. But let's oh, use yeah. that. Let's use that as a vehicle to this team, man. Just continually, like, there's just there's so much drama in this program <laughs> sometimes. And the, it, DJ Matthews is a prime example of like something beyond just the game we're going to talk about here. Why wasn't that on the field more than two weeks ago? Because Jimbo Fisher can be a stubborn man. I mean, that's what we're getting down to here. Is I mean, I, mean, he, I understand he, that DJ Matthews was injured early on. That sent him back a little bit, but but six weeks or half a season when when the result on the field. He banged the drum for T Mac. You know, he, he lost that one. But it wasn't that, that he that banged was the, it wasn't that he banged the drum. It, it was how long it went after. Yeah. You're allowed to screw up as a coach. You're allowed to make projections and be wrong. I think everyone understands that. 
Uh, it's when you don't make – to me, that's a sign of an aging coaching staff sometimes. Uh, and I saw this when I covered UCF. It, it wasn't that they didn't make personnel changes correctly with George O'Leary. It's that they took them way sometimes too long. Sometimes to do so. They were three or four weeks later. And I understand there's politics involved. There's just you got a kid's confidence. There's, there's more than just one element of should this guy play. Right. But maybe there shouldn't be. Maybe DJ Matthews was the clear-cut guy. And we, DJ had been given a couple opportunities, and he had to fumble. And I think you know Jimbo's such a trust guy. And don't get me wrong. I know T-Mac had done plenty of things wrong on special teams, too. I'm not saying it's you know one versus the other. But I think with T-Mac, Jimbo had a level of trust. And I think with DJ, it kind of had to be earned. Mm-hmm. But he was slow to do it. Yeah. In Jimbo's case, he was slow to give him the opportunity. But it's is. clear that kid is talented. That He has a knack. I watched DJ a lot in high school, and he just has a knack when he has a ball in his hand of making things happen. I know he's kind of scrawny from a measurement standpoint. doesn't matter. Kid plays huge. Yeah. I mean, this is, that's such a – when you look at this season, I think that nothing defines it better of, of just the issues they've had, the the annoying ability for potential that's just not reached than watching that punt return position this year, knowing that there are other options. And, and it may not be perfect, but you know there's, there's a better option. And I think that just kind of defines what we've seen this season with – with not maximizing potential, not putting guys in a position to thrive. And how does it apply to Tavares McBath? I mean, it was good to talk to him after the game. We haven't talked to him all season. He was a guy I really enjoyed talking to you know, last year because when he had a bad game, he would come and own up to it. That was refreshing. And this season, nothing. And I wonder how much – I don't know this for a fact. It's purely speculation how much him struggling at punt return really ate away at his confidence. I know he's not a guy who's going to pass the eye test in terms of, Oh, he's hustling all the time. That's he just kind of he's more of a laid back kind of guy. But but I think that you actually saw confidence issues creep over. Uh, whereas last year he kind of overcame that even after a bad start. So it's just the whole punt return thing has been kind of irksome to me this this season of just not understanding why it is the the way it is. And like you said, Chris, it was fun watching DJ Matthews. And I understand it wasn't it was. You know, a, an opponent that he should be running around right. and through. Right, running on a curve because it's a Hornets. But. I mean, at the same time, like, you know, the coach is saying how hard it is to find good punt returners you know, because punters punt the ball so deep and, and your know, coverage units are so much better. Saying that, you know, a month ago, Delaware State's punt returner, who's a low end of the FCS, you know, scholarship-wise, uh, had a nice 10 or 15-yard punt return right off the bat against Florida State. I mean... You can find it. There's a mentality, and there's a way you coach that into it. Uh, and I'll let our special teams guru, Bob Ferranti, he's shaking his head right now, uh, weigh in on, on special teams and, and where that is for Florida State. This roster is filled with talent, and Jimbo said it, and he's always felt like there have been options. He just hasn't chosen to utilize any of the options. And, you know, we've always wondered, why not Levante Taylor? We never really got a good look in open practices or games we or anything. We were just told that he wasn't. Levante. We were just kind of told it wasn't working out. Well, in the preseason. Why? I mean, why exactly is Levante, who we know has it on film from mm-hmm. high school, yes, it's different high school to college, but why? I and mean, has mentality for it, too. Like, he screws up, he's I, okay. He's right, bounces right Punt returners are naturally born individuals. You've got you, it. You can't, it's not something you – I mean, you can teach technique to it. You can teach certain things within scheme, but you either got it or you don't. I think Leon Washington was talking about that earlier this season where he didn't believe T-Mac had it in Washington. And Leon was a great punt returner here. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in that same club as Greg Reed, Willie Reed. There's plenty of guys like that. But Leon was a natural back there. And, you know, he made that observation on the special teams return then. And 
Yeah, with DJ, it's pretty clear he's natural. It's, that's we've talked about that before on this podcast. That's one of the scariest jobs in sports I have to imagine. It's yeah. like crossing. Basically, it's the same things that that the then when you go across the middle of the field as a wide receiver and you know passes coming your way. So it's the same elements. You have to make a play and you know that a hit could be coming without really knowing where it's going to be. It's so you much about feel. You have ten guys barreling towards you to end your day. Yeah. And the punter's hanging back in case you get by those 10 to try to push And, and they're coming at you while you're trying to catch a football, too. Yeah. Not that you just have a football and you're playing in space. Cause that's kind of fun, probably, for those yeah. guys. So so it takes a, a different kind of cat, uh, not in a bad way, just, just someone who's you know cut from a different cloth. DJ Matthews is that. That's optimism. Like We, we did see a lot of stuff on Saturday that was, yeah, I think, encouraging. You talk about uh, Joshua Kando, four sacks. I mean, you know, again, all with context. We know who they were playing. The most impressive thing about Kando isn't the stats. That dude gives 100% Hustles. effort. That's one of my favorite things watching his high school film was yeah. not just – I mean, the size is all there. But he gets shit, yeah, the profound he, shit all he, the time. He hustles. He gets after it. He, he's really enjoyable. You know, with a team that there's been moments of loafing and stuff like that here and there in the last couple of years. He's a guy that doesn't look like somebody who will ever do that. He simply is go, go, go. We, and it, it's awesome. We talked about that, Chris, on our, our car ride back. Sorry, Bob, you were not included in the last podcast, but it was... I uh, didn't get the text. I didn't get a call or nothing. I mean, it, it wasn't enjoyable. I can't be a distracted driver. You know how bad of a driver I am, anyways. It, it, was, it was a shit show, because we had... The, the audio wasn't great. I got Siri telling us directions. I'm pointing out, Chris, where to go. I'm having to go in the middle of back roads in Georgia. There were banjos playing. Um, but one thing we talked about was how much fun those freshmen were having at, at Clemson. It was kind of cool to see that trickle over to the, those same guys, uh, like a Joshua Kando, like a Stanford Stamuels, uh, DJ Matthews, I'm trying to think, was there anyone else? I mean, Hamso, we see, you know, kind of continues to remain involved. Were there any other true freshmen that really, I mean, I don't know. Marvin didn't have big stats, but he, he had played a couple a plays yeah. where you could see, man, he, he does a lot of things in that middle. Like when Nani moves on and potentially Christmas, it's clear that he's yeah. sort of the next man up and they think in the big body world. And the theme still is these guys may not do exactly what they're supposed to all the time, mm-hmm. but they're very coachable. They're putting in effort. You don't have questions about effort or energy or Correct. enthusiasm or give a damn. Where You might have some of that with some of the senior junior types. Well, and, and that's what we talked about last week, Bob, was – there's, a, there's an onus on this coaching staff, whether it's Jimbo and who else is on it from this year to next year, whoever that may be at this point. We don't know, other than change is inevitable, at least to an extent and, and possibly significant. But anyways, um, yeah, that's, that's uh, to, to harness what you see, that energy, that enthusiasm, those positives, like that's, that's your obligation now is, is you have it, it's there. As you try to get this thing turned around, um, it, you have to find a way to – properly motivate and and I don't trust as of we've seen the last couple of years that's something that that Jimbo and co have been able to do they just, they haven't been able to, to hit the right buttons frequently enough but the one thing you can do is is literally give them playing time well that's and, I don't know need, if I trust them but to light do a it. fire under the veterans who you feel are not putting in the hundred percent effort and maybe you're having those mental breakdowns where mm-hmm. they're not aligned right or they're not fitting the gap or, or whatever it is. If you're a veteran and you're not playing well, there should be somebody behind you, freshman, sophomore, whatever, breathing down your neck saying, I can do it. I might not do it right all the time, coach, but I am ready to be there and do it. And that's, it's good to see these younger guys get playing time. Even if mm-hmm. it's against Delaware State, it's film. It's good for them to, to develop. This is why we talk about Florida State needs a bowl game. No matter who's coaching, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Kids, freshmen, sophomores need bowl Preparation. They need the 15 practices to get better. Yeah, they, they have to feel engaged. 
and getting some part-time yeah, opportunities, guys. it helps. I mean, it, checkout is a natural thing, especially if you're a guy who doesn't expect to touch the field that year or play very limited, and you don't grow if you're not engaged. The freshmen will have a better week of practice this week than they've had all year because, as a group because this is most PT they've had. They can look at what they did on film, they can remember what they did on Saturday, and they can get out there and there's a little pep in the step. And, you know, being rivalry week only adds to that. There's, for the freshmen, we've got friends at Pro Football Focus. Um, Sanford Samuels gets 39 snaps. Joshua Kano gets 39. They both graded out in the elite category nationally. Uh, Samuels had the fifth highest grade of any cornerback in the country. Kendo had the third. I mean, that's that's great. Uh, Marvin Wilson grades out at 77.9. That is considered above average to good, and that's a good performance. And then you grade on the curve. He's a true freshman. Not a true freshman, but Janarius Robinson played well when, when he was out there on the field. He, he flashed a little bit. Um, so, yeah, there's now there's film to go off of. There is reason to believe you have something to build on. That, that's all cool, and that's all good stuff. I think that's – that's encouraging if you're those freshmen at Florida State. Now, again, it's on the coaching staff to kind of empower them to continue doing that. Uh, Chris used it before that the, the bench is a hell of a motivator. Um, the, those guys can push. Yeah. Uh, Ju- juice comes from confidence, but it also comes from competitiveness, and it comes from positive reinforcement. And sometimes if you screw up, you need to be told you screwed up and mm-hmm. let another guy go out there and try to have a chance and create some that inner competition. You know, you're not going to win because you have 22 good players. You're going to win because you have 44 or 66 good players that you can rely upon. So depth is crucial. And I, I do agree with Jimbo in the sense where he talks about how it would benefit him to great benefited this team greatly to yeah. have this kind of game. That was be my it next certainly would have. Talking point. Yeah. And it, it's not bull. It's true. I mean, you don't take much away from Delaware State, but getting guys snaps, getting them engaged, changing the way practice is paced naturally from those players and their feedback, it matters. And take that, apply it all to James Blackman. Yeah. I mean, that ULN game early on, I think, would have been really big. Um, and it wouldn't have been just for James Blackman. It wouldn't have been just for him. It, it certainly would have been helpful. I think for even Jimbo Fisher to have a feeling of what his quarterback was to see how he plays. Like, they, I mean, they went into that NC State game scared. And it showed in the play calling. And it's kind of, in hindsight, we you know, have some time to digest it and look at the whole context of the season now almost. Understandable why. I don't agree with all the, you know, the, the stupid bubble stuff. Like, that wasn't good, and they've gotten away from it. And it didn't end up helping out the offense. Um, but that would have been beneficial. And Jim would talk about that after the game, after the Delaware State game, to get that you know, easier win. Not that ULM is Delaware State, but it would have been a team where your game where your team had a clear edge and talent uh, to not get it I, I think sticks with Florida State and that was as we look at this like you have the Alabama game you lose and you have to just dwell on that and let that simmer for you know two to three weeks and it comes out against NC State and you're talking about the the, the matchup there your team was so vulnerable on the offense without DeAndre Francois we'll get to that in a second folks but your offense was so vulnerable and you play against one of the best defensive players in the country and he eats your lunch like I mean that's it was it was a three-week hangover. Yeah, the it was. The team was hungover. They put so much into that game. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of what we're reflecting at this point because it's Florida week, uh, but Florida's not that good. Uh, there's not a whole lot of new ground to cover for this team. It's coming off Delaware State. Yeah, we're looking back as what the season could have been. I don't know if you end up beating Alabama, how much things change. Are you still your issues are your issues, and they were just put into hyper-focus, I think, after that layoff and then the NC State loss. But, it, you know. 
this game would have been nice for Florida State to have in the beginning. I mean, yeah. I think that I don't think that's debatable at this point. There's a reason most teams play, a, yeah. you know, cupcake week two or week three. It allows you to come off usually what's a very tough week one, mm-hmm. and you know, instill confidence, fake confidence. And I say fake in the sense of beating the hell out of a team who's you know just here to collect a check and not very good at all matters. Turnover and chain, it, turnover chain, it's turnover still confidence chain. confidence that turns into something down the road. Turn into any. genuine, real confidence yeah. if you build upon it. And FSU never really had that initial building block to build confidence with some players that they had to lean on. Their heavily. confidence was ripped apart. I mean, it was the exact yeah. opposite. Part of that, and like this isn't. A, I'm not. I think that's very true on defense too. Yes. We, we've talked many a time about how this team, the minute Francois got hurt, they needed to rely on that defense to carry them. They crumbled. And that defense, yeah. you know, couldn't do it. They didn't have that like. Hound dog mentality. It just did not exist. And when you do what you did on defense Saturday, for the most part, um, first two drives excluded. Right. But like, you know, Derwin's big play, mm-hmm. basically shutting Delaware State down, second mm-hmm. and third quarter, they did absolutely nothing. It was it 11, 11 drives in a row where there was either a turnover, turnover and downs, or three now? Yeah, I think they had zero yards, three yards, 61 yards. I think that's their totals in the final three quarters <laughs> of that game. Yeah. Um, the fourth quarter was 60 something. I think it was 61. And they literally um, had the walk-ons playing. In the right, and most of that was the last two drives, including the timeout with, like, 13 seconds left, but I digress from that. Um, you need sort of the fake confidence being built from an opponent like that to genuine, genuine confidence, and this defense kind of went the opposite way. I think their confidence was largely shattered and diminished week to week to week. Mm-hmm. The end of that Miami game, certainly, I didn't put, you know, a lot of harm into any confidence they had as a group. That was a nail in the coffin for, yeah. for them. Um, I mean, look at – apply that logic to Miami this year. I Man, that's a team that's playing above itself. Um, yeah, but Miami, FSU, UNC games, uh, there's another game, Georgia Tech game. That team compared to the Notre Dame version and the week before Notre Dame. Well, that's what I'm saying. Confidence, it, false, even if it's false confidence, yeah. is, is you start believing genuine. you can find – yeah, and that's – I mean, does no, – I'm workshopping this out, out loud, so tell me to shut up. A 2013 Florida State team, like that was confidence that became propelled into real confidence. It, it yeah, was, they didn't play well at BC, and then they no, uh, I mean, they didn't play well at Pitt initially. I mean, they won they... big, but Pitt wasn't. You know, that was a sluggish start to the season. BC was, and then yeah, then you know, Clemson even the Maryland game before where they just you know I mean, it all took off from Clemson. Yeah, with no looking back. Um, the Wake for that was the year of the Wake Forest evisceration, right? Where they just annihilate them uh, out of the gate. No, that was uh, NC or, State for 35 points. Uh, Wake Forest was kind of a weird game up at Wake Forest yeah. where Nate Andrews has a pick. Six, uh, but Jameis Winston got not benched, but like they ended up keeping him out there an extra you know drive or so to get things right. Like Jimbo wasn't happy. But it was that Maryland game that kind of turned things around. From that was right after BC, uh, and that was the, the the defense just demolished Maryland. I think Jacoby McDaniel took their quarterback out for the season. Uh, and then the Clemson game was that next week, and that was the uh, realization of, of who they were. And then they you know then no one was touching them the rest of the season. Um, but that team had its struggles, and it was an immensely talented team. And especially college football wasn't really great in 2013. Like, they didn't play a whole lot of good teams, and there weren't a whole lot of great players in the country that year. Uh, but that was an example of what confidence and winning early can do. But look what that schedule was. It was at Pitt, uh, home versus Bethune-Cookman. Nevada. And Nevada. I mean, you know what I mean? Yep. You were able to build into that, and then you had that BC game that you, you survived, and then it was rolling after that. 
this team didn't have that. Uh, but again, that's not an excuse. That's on the coaching staff to manufacture confidence. You have to be able to get that to, to maximize your guys. It can't just be all circumstance of, of what happens in the game. You need to be able to get them to that place. I, I think that's that's what coaching is, right? Yeah, I mean, they had to create it somehow. Weirdly, I think Florida State and Florida were the only two programs that hadn't played a non-Power 5 until last weekend because Florida <laughs> just played UAB and Florida State just played And some similarities State. with their season So there were some similarities arms. where, you know, you know, Florida obviously has had crazy bad depth issues because of the, the credit card scandal and then the injuries just left and right. They're into the 50s, a number of available healthy yeah. scholarship players. So would it have been nice for them to And they're about to have even less when Chip Kelly comes in there and just runs the shit out of all those guys and they get hurt. It's an NFL what? reference, right? No? Sorry, it wasn't funny. Go ahead, Bob. Workshopping things out loud here doesn't always work. And then Chip Kelly's a slam dunk for Gainesville? Like slam, junk, slam dunk to slam chunk. <laughs> <laughs> um, Easy Baker Mayfield. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to get the job or if he gets it, when he gets it. Well, I think they certainly want him. Yeah. I mean, the UCLA curveball. I think UCLA is a much better fit for him. Uh, I think there'll be some burnout with at Florida for him. And as any coach, I don't think he's a great fit at Florida. I think he'll maximize guys for a couple of years, and I think maybe kind of an Urban Meyer esque, maybe not quite to that extent. But he went, what forty six and seven? Yeah, and they never lost games that they were supposed to, or they were supposed to win. Like he, I mean, he he maximized that program. But it's also worth noting, like that program at Oregon is what like a lot of programs are now. It was way ahead of its time in terms of facilities, in terms of the offense he was running. Like everyone's kind of caught up largely. He was an architect for that. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't think he's a slam dunk because I guess that's what I'm saying. I think it's, a, I mean, if you're Florida, you roll the dice and you, that's as good of a bet as any that's out there. Go for it. I just don't know. That's not Urban Meyer. I mean, that was a slam dunk. And I think it's easy to say that now, but I remember being in that middle school and thinking that was probably a, a good hire at the time. I think Chip at Florida would be really interesting. You like it? I, I just... It would be interesting. He's an innovative offensive mind. He's an intelligent dude. He doesn't love recruiting from what I understand, but he knows how to recognize talent, and especially talent that fits what he wants to do. And in Florida, he got so much of that You, you don't have to yeah. be great at recruiting as a head coach. You're not going on the Hire the right staff. Make yeah. the right decisions on your staff yep. that for your shortcomings as an individual make up yep. for it. So yeah, you just have to be a good closer. I think it would be yeah, I, I'm interested to see if Florida can wrap that thing up before UCLA is able to get a little more into it. Because um, I certainly think UCLA fired more to try to get them. To they, the, absolutely, they should have too. Yeah, and they were behind, you know, two three weeks on Florida. So it'd be really cool if, like, at halftime on Saturday, Chip Kelly just comes out of the tunnel and like waves to the Florida fans, and they just start going up tempo. And Florida State has no idea that it was coming this entire time. How did we end up here, Bob? How is it my fault that you have a meandering... <laughs> hey, let's talk about DeAndre Francois. I promised hot takes. Chris has hot takes. I don't have a hot take. I just, you, it is a hot take. People, the people desperately want. want DeAndre Francois to be a leader. Wait, hey, was, was, that's my fault. Again, I'm really screwing this up. I'll give some context and not assuming that. All right. It. Save it. Simmer. Let it become hotter. It, it's not, not simmer, man. <laughs> In case you haven't heard, DeAndre Francois was not at Saturday's game. Um... The rumors were that he was tweeting out stuff social media, and, or not tweeting, but you know, Snapchatting or whatever you crazy kids are doing these days uh, during the game. It sounded like he was in Orlando, which is where he's from, but I wasn't there to, you know, I didn't, I'm not following him on Snapchat. I don't, I wasn't checking Instagram during the game, so I don't know. But he certainly wasn't on the sideline. 
Uh, when Jimbo Fisher was asked about it at today's press conference as to why you know, the guy who started at quarterback for them uh, start the season and all last season wasn't at the game uh, for senior day, it wasn't quite in that loaded of a question, but just why wasn't he there? Is it a player? You know, is that your, your policy for injured players? And Jimbo said, yeah, it's, it's uh, player discretion. Player discretion is quote unquote is what he said, and that was it. Um, you know, our Josh Newberg has talked to you know, insiders with Florida State and is pretty, pretty confident. Like, I don't think that they were thrilled that that Francois wasn't there. Uh, so there's your context. It's another case of optics. It doesn't look good when you're starting quarterbacks. Not no, it looks, looks terrible. But at the end of the day... I don't I mean, care. I like, do what you want to do, dude. Fans are clamoring for him to be a leader, which he is not that. Like, he doesn't have that personality. We've talked many times about how he's very introverted. And he's just not that guy. Some guys are fiery, all-in kind of leaders, and DeAndre Francois is not that guy. And I don't even know if it's about being the like, – I mean, that's what it comes down I to think, is he's I a leader. and that's good what, to have better optics than what he did on Saturday. I'm not saying like, that it's, he it's shouldn't just being, have been. It's just being a good teammate yeah, rather than a leader. Like, man, when I broke my leg and I didn't play at all, like, for a good chunk of my senior year, like, I was, just, I was the ball boy. I did whatever I could to, like, help out. Like, but I didn't – People automatically about. turn a quarterback into a leader, even if he may not have leadership skills. Yeah. Like, it's a natural thing in college where people say the quarterback's the leader. That's not always the case. I think in DeAndre's case, you know, he may lead in some ways, but he I wouldn't describe him as a leader. No, guys played hard for him in twenty sixteen because he was tough and yeah. he proved he could take a beating. I think on that offense currently the leadership comes more so from, you know, an Auden Tate, a Cam Akers, a Patrick, guys of that class. I mean Cam's probably the guy that Everly, as you, Everly uh, certainly tries to lead to. His play's he, not always great, but he, he is a vocal guy. He is a guy that is engaged. He's smart and he cares he's about He's a pregame yeah. guy. You know, he's um, going to get you after it. DeAndre's never been that guy to me. I just, I, I think it's it's bad optics. It was a bad decision on his part. I don't think it looks good for the program. But at the same time, I don't have some false belief that that kid's some kind of leader. This doesn't change, I think, anything. Like, you know, people want to, like, make this, like, referendum on, on him or Jimbo Fisher and Honestly, it says more about you know the, the program and Jimbo than it does about DeAndre Francois. One, I don't think it's a huge deal if he's not you know social media and up during the game. It was almost kind of like just felt passive aggressive to an extent. I don't know if that was his intent. I, I don't know. Uh, but Bob, you're shaking your head. I'll throw it to you. I think this was more says more about the program and the way things are allowed to be run than it did about DeAndre. Jimbo's very short answer and trying to diffuse the situation and protect the quarterback by saying player's discretion, it eliminates the accountability of you should be on the sideline at a home game. I think it's understandable if you're not at a road game because you're getting treatment or whatnot, but you you should be there. There are some young guys who should be coached in your position group who could be helped from, hey, this is what I see on the sideline. DeAndre should be at least at the minimum, a guy who says, hey, you know, on that play I saw this and this. What did you see? Which he was against Clemson. Like, he was there. Right. Yeah. And, again, that's kind of what we were saying, too, is you're at Clemson. You're slinging the ball around. So you're getting healthier pregame. Mm-hmm. You can show everybody that you're getting healthier. You should also do it every game the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think it, it doesn't look good. And by Jimbo saying it's player's discretion, oh, my goodness, it, it brings up the accountability issue even more. I think it – where Jimbo's trying to deflect, it brings the heat back on him and, and the culture he set. Yeah, and players, a culture is created when, a college football culture for a team, you know it exists, not when a coach tells you it exists, but when players enforce it upon other players. 
The social that's media the, policy that, in 2013 that's the is, truly takes. is an example where Telvin Smith was and, going down to dorm rooms, knocking on and people. If players on this team do not like what happened Saturday in that regard, they're going to have to be the ones that kind of conduct business. Yeah. But I'm not sure this team's made up that way. No. I, I, We've I seen a few examples this year that obviously show that it's not necessarily the tightest unit. No, that's that's fair. I mean, yeah, this is this ultimately, it's poor optics. I don't think it changes anything uh, because you kind of knew this was DeAndre, as you say, Chris. He not wasn't a leader, and uh, yeah, we wrote about that in the preseason. That was something he was trying to become. But the fact you're you know, twenty something years old, and that's something that you're trying to work into after a full season of starting experience. We were, that's fine. I think people conceptualize that's not who he is. Maybe some people wanted to be that, and that's probably not fair. He's not going to be the raw, raw guy. I think it comes down to, like, one, being a teammate. And, again, part of this, I just want to couch this, like, man, like, we don't know exactly why he was down there. The social media stuff that's apparently was there probably isn't a good look, though, because that, that's implying that you were having fun and enjoying yourself down there, which then contradicts, like, you know, being a teammate and being up here with, with your guys. Um, but it wasn't a good look for, for him, and it wasn't a good look for the program, and that has to be dealt with. Or, or you don't deal with it, and then it's just – not having accountability again. Yeah, you need a certain level of maturity to step up for all parties. Yeah. But, so as we look in the context of what next year is, let's assume Derwin James is gone. That's one of the few guys that you think is kind of that has both the, the verbal leadership skills and then the ability to, to be rah-rah loud on the field and, and to perform uh, and do it through actions uh, and articulate it. I don't know who else, like... That comes back to that goes back to those young guys. Those freshmen are gonna have to grow quickly. Cam Akers is a guy who I think can be that based on who you know he was in high school and and what his reputation was there. Um, but man, it it. I mean, right now I don't know you know who becomes the leader to kind of turn these things around. They're gonna have to be dependent solely, I feel like, or primarily on talent. There's not gonna be a lot of guys that are gonna be able to generate uh, a ton of leadership, and and I think leadership can be kind of a conceptually I'm trying to think of the right the right phrase we hype it up in the media like what leadership yeah. is we like to talk about it yeah, if so you're winning leadership becomes super duper easy yeah leadership's a talking point more than anything but you need you need players that enforce the culture yeah that yeah, and that's what it comes down to is culture is there's messages that need to be made at certain times and who's going to be the one to make that you know, to, to, to articulate that message um and if it's not your quarterback, that's just that's tough though. Like he needs to be kind of in that conversation, right? Like that's, yes. yeah. So again, DeAndre we, needs to understand that his role of being that guy, that quarterback, the quarterback on a team that's a college football playoff mm-hmm. contender, view team, year in year out type team. Your role is not simply in the huddle. He's good in the huddle. He's good when he's on the field. It's not simply there. Yeah. You you have to. You don't have to necessarily be a leader. But you need to be a guy that can be looked upon in a positive manner off the field, yeah. outside the huddle as well. Yeah. Shortly after DeAndre's surgery, I, I just kind of threw Jimbo a softball. I said, what do you expect DeAndre's role to be moving forward? Is he in the press box, you know, kind of communicating with the quarterback on the sideline? Mm-hmm. Is he on the sideline? Here's what I saw. Here, what did you see? That kind of thing. I wanted Jimbo to have a plan for DeAndre because that's part of James' development. And Jimbo didn't exactly give us very much. Maybe he did have a plan and just didn't want to verbalize it. But we no. haven't seen a clear DeAndre James working together mm-hmm. on the sideline. There hasn't been. Now, maybe it happens in the film room. Maybe it happens. A little bit was the first time I've seen positive interaction. But have we seen enough? I mean, 
I think we have questions. As well. uh, yeah, I, I, without having seen it, you know what, what happens not on Saturdays. Um, I can't really say whether there's been enough or not. I would say, but what we've seen, it, it's not enough to make me feel comfortable that that's a great uh, that there's a lot of helping. It just doesn't look that way. That's optics. I mean, that doesn't mean it's reality or not. That's how we see it. And if we're seeing it that way, our readers and listeners and just fans in general uh, of the program are seeing it that way too. I mean, that's kind of the reality of it. Um, yeah. So, so as we're talking about a 77 to, to six win for Florida state, like, you know, there's not a ton of enthusiasm in this podcast. It's more, you know, thinking back of, of what, was what could have been and I just there's just more questions about this program after a big win or at least as many as there were you know as there were going into it there's there's always something it just never really feels great now if you go and you beat Florida and you beat the crap out of them I start I start thinking you feel a little bit better about where things are not that there's you know problems are solved because they're they're not but at least you get a better taste in your mouth for this season if you can win it, you go on a three-game winning streak and get into a bowl game and win four. But but right now, man, it's just there's a lot of hmm? oh, there's just a lot of a lot of issues and a lot of actions that don't make sense and that just aren't or I think to me are indicative of a culture that doesn't have a great great identity or great grasp right now. Yeah, you got to figure out the direction this off season. Yeah, early and instill it, install it. I hope people buy in, and by people I mean players, guys who will be the vocal leaders, guys who will be the ones that kind of guide the ship next year. So hopefully they can finish with some kind of good feelings down the stretch. That obviously begins with Saturday in the swamp. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I just, I mean, there's reasons this team has the record it has, and it's not solely play on the field. But you know, there's coaching issues. Obviously, there's clearly some leadership issues in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a lot. It's, it's a program that's viewed as a program. Jimbo loves to talk about how it's not about specific players, plays. It's a program. Organization. A culture, an organization. Yeah. And there's clear restructuring that needs to occur within this organization. Mm-hmm. And I'm not solely talking people in and people out. I'm talking the way things are done. Mm-hmm. That, that's where like you look at what Alabama has. And, and it may not be fair to compare Florida State Alabama, Alabama but... That's kind of the the shadow in which it, this has been architect, you know, been built into. Um, and you talk about culture; it's like you can try to mimic what they have, and you see this like oh, God. I can't remember his anecdote. I think it was on the Dan Lebetard show. They were talking about um, Toyota and how Toyota allows like other companies and even car companies to begin to to see how they operate things on day to day, and they don't have an issue with it because they're like you can't replicate our culture. And that kind of reminds me of, of as. You know, people keep trying to follow the Alabama blueprint, man. It's just so hard to do. Uh, and I think, I guess, the way, I guess, to, to sum up this podcast is what we're saying is, man, there's just some issues that are, I mean, it's not even an issue. I mean, things are broken, I think, about the way that the program is run. I think the culture has some glaring issues. Can that be fixed and remedied? Yeah. Uh, can it be done with just you start making some of the right hires and you start getting you know, uh, an influx of energy and a new set of eyes and new ideas. Like, I think that makes a huge difference, uh, but it all kind of trickles back to Jimbo. We've talked about that before. I don't know how many podcasts. It's all kind of, you know, it's about accountability. It's about making, identifying and making the right moves personnel-wise. So all things that I think after watching Saturday's game of what the team could be against a slappy team from the FCS, granted, uh, there just leaves a lot to be desired, I guess, of, of what it what it is, what it should have been, what it maybe still could be. 
I think Florida's in a very strange position where they're feeling really good all of a sudden. You know, if they make that higher feeling like, before the game, yeah, that, that becomes interesting, right? Yeah, and I think things could shift with the recruiting cycle, with the early signing period. Things mm-hmm. could This could be a very, very interesting offseason, December, January leading up to signing day. But also I think to a just to this game, it's a bad, bad game. It's two four and six teams. But there was one quote, and I forget which Gator said it, they know they're not going to a bowl game. They're treating this kind of like a bowl game where they want to ruin Florida State's season and make sure that Florida State can't go to a bowl game. All of a sudden there's like 50 guys who think, man, we might have a chance to beat Florida State and kind of go into our offseason feeling good. Oh, well, that's pretty much your depth. <laughs> They're not as much. But how weird is that, though? Like, Florida State has more talent, a better team when you look, like, across the depth chart, and Florida's down 30 scholarship guys, and this might, this might not go Florida State's way. I mean, if Jimbo somehow – if the staff figures out a way to lose this one, it's on the road <laughs> – and it could be a loss. The spread's five points. But Florida State should, for all intents and purposes, against a very bad offense, win this game. Yeah, they should. But they could also very easily find those inches and lose this one. Boston College. <clears throat> I don't. I have no preconceived notion of what FSU will do at Florida because this team's very tough to predict. You know, we've seen them play really awful Boston College, where it could be debated if they quit or not. Of course. We've seen them play fairly decent at Clemson until the final few minutes where that score kind of separated from what it really was for most of that game or the latter part of that game. So I, I have no preconceived notion about that. I just know that if you're playing your rival and you're competing for the 40-35 streaks that are referenced quite often, you you better have a little pep in your step. Like I think we're going to know pretty early in the swamp at FSU's there to come play. And my, my intuition, my, my instincts are that they, they will because this, especially on defense, like that unit has gone up when it's needed to. Well, let me rephrase that. It's gone up for big games uh, that yeah. are ultimately more important in there. It's clear what games are more important to them than not. Again, it kind of comes back to being able to manufacture that. And can you create that and, and generate that kind of enthusiasm all the time? That's what great teams do. That's what good teams do. Uh, that hasn't been the case this season. But it leads me to believe against Florida, I, I, they've done it against. Alabama, they did it against Clemson, they did it against Miami, and, you know. For three quarters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Literally three quarters. Yeah, for three quarters. Um, so I think they'll do it against Florida, too. I think if they're out firing, then that gives, you know, I think you have a chance if you don't turn the ball over uh, to, to win and win pretty handily, too. Um, compete. Just compete. <laughs> this has been a pretty somber podcast, and I'm okay with it, guys. You know, it's just kind of we're at the end of the season here. One of the three of us is hungover. I won't say whom. That would be me. Okay, it was Chris. He's hungover. How many beers? Jimmy Buffett's fault. I don't know. I don't count. Wasted away again. It was, it was hurricane relief. It was, it was a good show. They made, I believe they raised quite a bit of money. So. Well, it's all for a good time. It was a good time. It was basically a big party. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, guys, I mean, that's pretty much, what I think, what we have for you today. Um not going to get into a whole lot of X's and O's. I mean, for Florida, I think that was that was the most of it. So, uh, again, with this team, we'll, we'll leave you on this. I mean, there's obviously – you see the talent. It's readily available. Um, we're kind of in a holding pattern until the end of the season until we see uh, what the plan is to maximize that talent. All right, we're cool. We good? Feel, feel all right with what we did? Chris is yawning. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Mm.